Right, so we are in the final chapter of the book of 1 John, and I've really enjoyed going through this book. So much good stuff in here, and I don't want to spend a lot of time reviewing the previous chapters. I've got a lot I want to talk about in this chapter, but again, remember, we are looking at a group who obviously had had a split. Some people had went out from them because they were not of them, people that they considered brethren, people who probably literally were their brethren, physically speaking. Um, people who, though, denied that Jesus was the Christ. And they were anti-Christ because they denied the Son. Uh, but at the same time, these people denying the Son claim to have the Father. And we're trying to say that this group that John's writing to were not of God. They hated these people. And John wanted to assure these people, no, listen, here's how you can know you have eternal life. Do you have the Son? Uh, we, there's a, a unity there between the Son and the Father. It's a package deal. If you don't have both, you don't have either. And so he's letting them know. We know also that we are not of that wicked one because we're not like Cain who slew his brother. We're not trying to kill them. We love them. They're trying to kill us. And it's because we're of God. They're not. And so he's letting them know you can be confident that you're doing the right thing. You've made the right choice. And you can know that you have eternal life. And so he starts off chapter 5 saying, Whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And everyone that loveth him that begat loveth him also that is begotten of him. So chapter 5 begins with the same thing we saw in chapters 1 and 2. And that is God the Father, God the Son, they are a package deal. In chapter 1 verse 3, says that which we have seen and heard declare we unto you that ye also may have fellowship with us and truly our fellowship is with the father and with his son jesus christ so if you're going to have fellowship with us you need to understand our fellowship is with the father and his son jesus christ and so if somebody comes along and they're like you know what i want to fellowship with you i you know i think we're all brothers i think we're all together but you know, I just have a few differences. I just don't believe that Jesus is the Christ. No fellowship here, ladies and gentlemen. You know, we don't believe in this ecumenical stuff. I know it makes people feel good. I know it gives everybody a warm, fuzzy feeling. They love seeing the Pope standing up on a stage with a Muslim and a Jew and all these different people. But you know what? They never, they never have up there as an IFB preacher. Because, you know, you've got to have some things in common. There are some things that have to be in agreement and if you don't have the Son, you don't have the Father. And so we're not going to stand. We are not going to stand with people who deny that Jesus is a Christ. Therefore, we do not stand with Israel. We're not going to do that. I'm tired of listening to the Baptist say it. It drives me crazy. I get, you know, it, it's a trigger thing with me. So I'm so, I, I don't stand with them. Oh, I just mean politically. You know, politically, we stand with them. Why? You know, I... I, I I haven't had anybody give me one good reason, you know, and then sometimes they'll try to go to the Bible and bring it, you know, bring it, you know, let, let's talk about what the Bible has to say. I mean, there are ally in the Middle East. Okay. Why do we need one over there? What are we trying to do over there? You know, what we're trying to do over there. We're trying to help Israel. So, so of course they're going to align with, uh, you know, align with us. It's don't get me on that. But anyway, verse two. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep his commandments. And again, we've been seeing a theme of love throughout here. And notice too in verse 1 how he says, Everyone that loveth him that begat, which is God the Father, loveth him also that is begotten of him. And who is the only begotten Son of God? Jesus Christ. And so anyone who loves him that begat, loves whoever is begotten of him. And you know what? You know, while that's a very biblical thing, there's no denying it because the Bible flat out says it, we should be able to relate to that too. Because you know what? How is our fellowship going to be, you know, how is my fellowship going to be with you if I say I love you, but I hate your son? You know, how is that going to go over? Are we going to be good friends? If I, listen, you know, Brother Brian, I love you, but that cute little baby boy of yours, James, I hate him. <laughs> You're automatically not going to like me. And you know, one thing I, one thing I learned, and I, you know, that if you want to be liked, you know what, it just helps, especially if you're in the ministry, is love people's kids. I, I've, I've learned that when, and when the, you know, I was a youth director, 
And when the kids love you and when parents see you being a blessing to their children, they love you. There's something about doing good and caring for someone's children. That's going to give them a special place in your heart. You know why? Because parents love their children. And when they see someone loving their children, that does something for them. You hate their children, that does something to them too. And you know, it's the same thing with God. You say that you love God, but you hate his son. God doesn't buy that at all. So don't ever fall for this lie too. That the Jews, well, you know, they love God. They just you know, don't accept Jesus Christ. God's not buying that. That's not how it works. If you love him that begat, you're going to love him that is begotten of him. You're going to love the son. And so we know we're the children of God because we love God and keep his commandments. And just a reminder that it is unvary, it's, it's very unfair to take a letter that has been very specific about what commandments he's talking about and then just cherry pick commandments from other places in the Bible to, and then try to make people think they're not saved because they're not doing those things. And you know what? Every pastor has hobby horses. Every pastor has sins that make him more upset than other sins. And it's always whatever sins he doesn't have, whatever things he's got victory over. And, what, and, and the thing is, pastors will often do that and they'll try to make people doubt their salvation based on 1 John because of something that they're not doing right. We should not do that. That is not what this message is intended to do. And so I shouldn't get up and it's like, you know what? If you're you know, laying out a church on Sunday night, I doubt you're saved. My Bible says, by this we know we love the children of God when we love God and keep His commandments. You're forsaking the assembling. Has John been talking about forsaking the assembling? He hasn't been talking about forsaking. I'm not trying to give anybody an excuse to lay out a church on Sunday nights. I'm just saying it's not, it's not fair to do that. You're not really being biblical when you just kind of, you take a verse like that that makes a very you know, strong statement, but it's being very specific, and then you go and make it about something it's not talking about. And the IFB, we're masters of that because we do. We take verses all the time and run with it. And, it's, and there is a time and a place to do that. There is a way to do it appropriately, but there's a way to do it inappropriately. And this is why you all must read your Bibles. If you're not reading your Bibles, if you are not familiar with context of scriptures, it's going to be easy for me to get up and just run with a verse. And you're going to think, man, everything he's preaching is straight from the Bible. You're not going to know I'm taken out of context. If you haven't studied it, this is why you've got to be reading your Bibles. It's so important to do that. You know, a lot of times we feel sorry for people who sit in churches, whose pastors take advantage of them and they just kind of, you know, manipulate these people. But you know what? It's their fault too because they're being lazy and not reading their Bibles. And those pastors are bad guys and God's going to deal with them. But these people are accountable too. You've got a Bible. You've got to be reading it. And if you're not reading your Bible, I, I just don't know what to tell you. You're going to, get in, you're going to have a lot of problems. So actively loving God and the brethren gives us the assurance that we are keeping His commandments. Now get this, okay? Because we we're not just cherry picking the verse. We're looking at the passage as a whole here. Okay? We know we love the children of God when we love God and keep his commandments. Okay, now actively, well, let me ask you this question, okay? Don't answer it out loud, but I'm just asking you a question. I want you to answer this in your mind. And that is, are you a good Christian? Are you a good church member? Are you a good husband? Are you a good wife? Okay, now, you know, in your mind, you're thinking yes or no, right? But here's the, here's the thing. What if you say, I don't know? Okay. Now, how can we figure out if you're a good Christian? Have you ever thought about that? I mean, what makes someone a good Christian? Now, what you all would like me to do now, and if I may just pick on some people tonight and understand, I, I need you all to understand this before I start being mean. Okay. That what I, who I am talking about was all of us at one time. Okay. So I'm not, be, I'm not really trying to be mean, even though I'm being a little bit mean. We were all there at one time. Every one of us were there at one time. It's just some people, they never grow out of it, okay? You know, and hopefully, hopefully you grew out of it. But we were all there at one time, so I'm not, I'm not trying to be mean. But when you hear me ask a question, all right, are you a good Christian? Are you a good church member? Now what you need me to do is you need me to preach a sermon that says how to be a good Christian, how to be a good church member. And then I give you a list, right? I give you a list, 
And now you, you're going to be hardcore on that list. Not only are you going to start doing all those things, you're also going to start condemning everyone who's not doing those things. You know, and listen, you know, it's great when you get excited, you're learning. But, you know, hopefully you grow out of some of these things. But here's, here's the thing about it. You know, can we make a checklist to see if you qualify? Or could I ask you one simple question to figure out the answer to that? Actually, there's a better way to do it. If I wanted, I could give you a whole list. I could preach someone how to be a good church member. And then I'm going to, I'm going to make a list, man. First off, show up. Second off, pay up. You know, give your tithe. You know, third, pay up and then some. You know, I mean, I, you know, you know I, I, could, I could come up with a whole list of things that you should do. But, you know, in reality, I could just do this. Do you love the brethren? Do you love God? Because the truth is, when you love God... When you naturally have a love for God and the brethren, you are just naturally going to do all the things that you're supposed to do. You know, there's a lot of people out there today, you know, like, you know, moms. Okay, if, if somebody has to come to you and give you a list of things that you need to do every day to take care of that baby, like feed your baby. I, don't know, I mean, I think most moms just instinctively know feed the baby. I remember my sister when she had her first baby and I, they did the kind of the same thing with us. I think they were worse with her though. Whenever you're young and you have that first baby at the hospitals, they often treat you like you just don't know how to do anything because a lot of people don't know how to do anything, but they were the same way with them. And I remember when they were leaving the hospital and they were taking her out, the nurses said, and don't forget to feed the baby. And they were just like, you know, duh. but you know, some people are such bad parents. They need to have social workers show up to see if they're feeding the baby to see if they're changing their diapers, to see if they're looking after them, loving them, holding them, you know, giving them attention. But the truth is, if you just, if, if as a mother, you have that natural love for that child, nobody has to tell you to do those things. You just instinctively do those things. Nobody has to tell, you know, a cat to take care of her kittens or a dog to take care of their puppies. Yet they just instinctively do these things and the truth is, when it comes to being a good Christian, when it comes to being a good husband, God is not trying in this New Testament era to give us this new test of rules. You know the commandment He just gave? Love one another. You know, what did He tell, say when He was on earth? Love God and love your neighbor. On these two, hang all the law and the prophets. If you love your neighbor, you're instinctively going to do what you need to do. Some of you need, might need me to preach a message, how to be a good neighbor. And I'm going to have to give you a list. You got to do this. You got to do that. You know, and then you're going to, okay. And then you're going to have to just actively, you know, purposefully go and try to do those things. The truth is, if you love your neighbor, you're instinctively going to do these things. If you love your neighbor, you're going to try to find some way to witness to him. If you love your neighbor, you know what you're not going to do. You're not going to steal from your neighbor. You're not going to kill your neighbor. You're not going to commit adultery with your neighbor's wife. You're not going to covet after your neighbor's. You're not going to do any of the things you're not supposed to do because you have love. And this is why we are seeing this, this constant focus because, again, the New Testament, it didn't do away with the law as if the law was not good. No, the law is good, but understand that law, it condemns all of us. And the truth is, God wants us doing things out of the right reason, from the right, from a right heart, and He wants to do things out of love. And you know what? I, I, just, I get annoyed at people who... You know, they, they learn a new truth. They learn something they're supposed to do or not supposed to do. And they are just immediately begin a new ministry of condemnation and just creaming everyone who's not doing these things. It, you know, listen, it's when you, you have a little bit of humility when you learn something for Pete's sake. I mean, good night. You know, why don't you practice it for a little while? If we get some people to be married for a few years before they start telling everyone how to have a good marriage, wouldn't that be a good thing to do? Somebody can, you know, raise a few kids before they start telling everybody what to do with their kids. But what do they do? Zero kids. They hear a message on spanking. You know, these parents that don't spank their kids, as far as I'm concerned, they're guilty of child abuse. And it's like, you know, you don't know anything. Shut up. You know, it's like, well, you know, 
I need to be, I want to be hardcore because I want to make sure I'm getting everything right. You know, I've, I've got to listen to all this preaching. I've got to learn all these things. I've got to make all these lists because I'm going to do all this stuff. You know what? How about just have love in your heart? If you'll have love in your heart, you'll get it right. It's about, it's, folks, it's about getting your heart right. And too many people are trying to accomplish a checklist and all you're doing is you're, you're failing, you're messing up. Because you know, that law, it just, it condemns. If it's about a law, if it's about a list, you're always going to come short. Somebody's always going to outdo you. You're always going to mess up somewhere. But when you just have your heart right and you just love God and you love people, you just naturally do the right thing. Have you ever noticed it seems like some people, they're doing, they're, they're good Christians and they don't even seem like they're trying that hard. And then you got someone else that's like, they're just in agony trying to be a great Christian, just failing miserably. What's the difference? Hey, you know what? A lot of times we have people trying to follow the law while there's other people that just have love in their heart. And again, if you can't find love in your heart, that's when something's wrong. We saw that in chapter 4. So, verse 3 goes on to say, For this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not grievous. And let me tell you something. If the Christian life is making you miserable, then you know what? You're doing it wrong. Well, that's all there's, but I'm doing everything on the list. I listen to your sermon on how to be a good church member. I'm doing every one of those things. I'm listen, I listen to your sermon on how to be a good husband. And I did those things. You said, never slap your wife. You know, you said, you know, always do that. You know, and then you just, and you just like a robot, you know, went and forced yourself to do all those things, but your heart wasn't there. You know, you're, you're so far from what you, you need to be. It's not even close. You've got to get your heart right. That's the key. And if you're doing, if you're miserable, you're doing it wrong. You are probably trying to fulfill a list of rules that was probably made up on the fly in a Facebook group somewhere. And let me tell you, when it comes to these people who try following these things, you know, typically it's amazing the way people can change their rules on a dime. It's isn't it weird how people just turn on a dime? You know why? Because they're not operating on instinct. They're not operating. Out of, the, out of the Holy Spirit. They are operating off a list that they made up that's one that will always keep them in the number one position of spirituality or whatever, you know, in, in their own hearts and their own minds. And so if that changes, you know, if I'm a, if I'm a pastor, I, I think the most important thing that, you know, for a pastor is he needs to be someone that has a good marriage. But then all of a sudden, you see in the newspaper, you know, I, you know, we were... Uh, I'm in the police reports for a domestic disturbance because me and my wife were having a knockdown drag out or something like that. Well, you know, we're still fine. We haven't got divorced, you know. And then I give you a list of things I didn't do. I didn't beat her, you know. I didn't kill her, you know. It's just, but it's like, listen, you know, we stopped changing the rules. I, I thought you had to be a good husband. I thought you had to have a happy marriage, you know, and it's just, it, the, the hypocrisy, you know, because here's the thing, too, about lists. Do you know all of our lists that we come up with? You know what they always, you can always do with anyone's list? You can make them out to be a hypocrite. Have you ever noticed that? Have you ever noticed any time somebody is more hardcore than anyone on anything? What are they? A Pharisee, hypocrite, holier than thou. How, well, you're condemning me of this. Well, I'll condemn you of this. We've always got something we can condemn each other for. There's always something that we're going to get wrong. No, nobody's perfect. And so what do we do, though? Okay. All right, yeah, I nailed I nail them for that, and they just nailed me for this. Well, I'm going to find something else in the Bible, I'm going to nail them for this. And then I'm going to make, I'm, I'm going to make this bigger priority. You know what we just need to do? We just need to forget all that, have love in our heart, and we will, we will just naturally do things right. And it won't matter what everybody else is doing. But unfortunately... Most people, they've got the wrong idea. And when you do, when you get in this competition, we've got to make sure we outdo this other church in town. You know, that, everybody knows this other church in town. The ladies are wearing skirts and they're a little longer than ours. They're starting to look a little more spiritual than us. You know what? We're up in our game. All right. You know, we're going full Muslim. All right. You know, we're, you know, Berkers, ladies. You know, no, that's going to just make us all miserable. The truth is, if we're doing what we're supposed to do, just trying to please God, trying to, trying to love God, what other people are doing, it's not going to matter. We're going to be doing these things because we want to do them. And what are we hearing today? We are hearing people all the time 
leaving the IFB and talking about all the rules that they had to follow. And you listen to these people, they, they act like they were being tortured because they had to dress like ladies because they weren't allowed to drink and do all these things. And it's just like, I grew up under those same rules, but they, I'm happy. What hap- what's the difference? Some people were following a list. Some people loved God. Some people loved others. And so those things weren't grievous to them. And so again, the commands of the Bible, they do, they make a lot of people miserable, but it's because they're doing them wrong. They're not doing it out of love. And that's why we're seeing this, this emphasized over and over again. So I can remain married to my wife, motivated by the law of God. Cause you know what? I don't want to be one of those divorced preachers cause then I'll be disqualified. You know, I don't want to, I don't want to, so I'm going to remain married because I don't want to get disqualified from the ministry. You know what? That's a terrible motivation right there. And that's where a lot of preachers are at, man. I, I can't divorce my wife. If I do, I'll lose my ministry. You know, you should be married to your wife because you love your wife. You know, you, that's not, that is not a good reason to stay married, even though we should want to follow the law of God. But folks, if you're remaining married, because of the law of the Bible, then you're doing your marriage wrong. You're doing your marriage wrong. The truth is you should want to stay married to your wife. And if you don't want to stay married to your wife, you need to figure out what you're doing wrong. And you need to get it right. And I'll bet somewhere, somewhere in there, there's a love problem somewhere. The husband's loving himself more than he's loving his wife. Or the wife's loving herself more than she's loving her husband. And chances are we can trace the problem there. So... If I'm, if I'm staying married, motivated by love, who do you think is going to have the better marriage? The one motivated by law or the one staying together motivated by love? And truth is, love is always better. So verse 4 goes on to say, For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world. And this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. Who is he that overcometh the world? But he that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God. And overcoming the world, very clearly here, comes through faith in Jesus Christ and not a performance of the law. And this, this is a good verse to mark too for whenever people want to go to the book of Revelation when it's talking about overcoming and making it like you've got to do some kind of works to get into heaven. And I don't have time to go through this. I preached a whole sermon on it before. Don't remember what it's called. Had overcoming in the title, I'm pretty sure. But if you go through Revelation and all the things where it talks about, you know, to him that overcometh, all of those things that we are told to overcome, we can find places in the Bible where Jesus is the one who overcame those things for us. And that's why the same writer of Revelation who wrote 1 John says, who is he that overcometh the world? But he that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God. We overcome through Jesus Christ. I have overcome my sin, not through a performance of the law, but through my faith in Jesus Christ. I've overcome those things. I'm the overcomer. I am... I am obedient to God, but my obedience we see in the book of Hebrews is not through my keeping of the law or my sacrifices, but it was through the obedience of my high priest, Jesus Christ. And that's, that's an amazing thing too, that the Jews especially would have understood who part of them remaining in good standing with God was dependent on the high priest doing his part and offering up the annual sacrifices and things. And so understand that there's some obedience that is required for salvation. There is a sacrifice that is required for salvation. But Jesus Christ did every one of those things. And we get credited with His righteousness and with His obedience when we put our faith in Him. So that's so there are... This is a, a very important verse because there are places in the Bible where it talks about overcoming certain things, obeying in certain areas. But if you actually study those passages, it is crystal clear that we are credited all those things through Jesus Christ. So verses like this kind of sum all that up, make it very clear. And overcoming the world through faith in Jesus Christ, it's not about performance of the law. People need to look less at the law and more at Jesus. But what do people do whenever you ask them, how do you know for sure you're going to heaven? Or what does a person have to do to go to heaven? What do they start doing? Naming things in the law. That's what they often start doing. 
But then you have other people that start telling you about Jesus. And we're always encouraged when we hear that, and often do, when you ask people, what does a person have to do to go to heaven? And they just talk about Jesus. That is exactly what we should do. The law condemns, but Christ gives life, hope, and victory. So that's why we always have to have faith. Now, verse 6, in this next passage, we're about to get into the passage that is most commonly used to define the Trinity, which is fine, but I want to make sure, we're not going to talk so much about the Trinity tonight, I want us to make sure we stay focused on the overall message of this passage right here. Because it's not trying to give us an explanation of the Trinity here. It's actually got something very specific that it is dealing with. And we want to make sure we stay on subject. So look at verse 6. It says, This is he that came by water and blood, even Jesus Christ. Not by water only, but by water and blood. And it is the Spirit that beareth witness, because the Spirit is truth. Now, what exactly does this mean? Talking about him coming by blood and water. Okay, what, what does it mean? And that is, that's kind of a mysterious passage. And what I try to do when I'm reading 1 John, if I come up with, if I see a difficult passage, I try to see if there's anything in some of his other writings that might shed some light on it. Because again, you know, these, while this is the word of God, these men are writing and they kind of have some of their own styles and ways of saying things. And I, I, in my opinion, I think this is connected here, but look at John chapter 19. I think we're seeing something here. There, there's a message uh, in this event that takes place at Christ's crucifixion. It says in John 19.34, But one of the soldiers with the spear pierced his side, and forthwith came there out blood and water. And he that saw it bare record, and his record is true, and he knoweth that he saith true, that ye might believe. And we know the Gospel of John was written so we might believe. And he puts a special emphasis on how when Jesus was stabbed with a spear, how water and blood came out. He's like, and we know that this record is, is true. And it was, it was said that we might believe. We are supposed to, So there's a message here with the water and the blood coming out of Jesus Christ. And while I believe it literally happened, I believe literally water and blood came out of him. I believe what was taking place, though, had a, uh, not so much a prophetic, but a a, uh, doctrinal significance, too, I guess you could say. But John 7, in verse 37, says, In the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He that believeth on me... As the scripture hath said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. But this spake he of the Spirit, which they that believe on him should receive, for the Holy Ghost was not yet given, because that Jesus was not yet glorified. So there's no doubt something symbolic was taking place when that water and blood came out. And it did. It literally happened. But I believe that it was a miracle that was done to prove who Jesus was, and I believe that the, the message there, I believe it was symbolic of the Holy Spirit because that blood that came from Jesus Christ, it was His blood that paid for our sins, that cleansed us from our sin, but you understand too that the Holy Spirit is a necessary part of our salvation, and just like payment of sin came from Jesus Christ and from His shed blood, you know what else came from Jesus Christ? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, and here in 1 John chapter 5, now all of a sudden we see the Holy Spirit being referenced because in the earlier chapters we see a lot of references to the Father, to the Son, how they're a package deal, but he hasn't been talking so much about the Spirit until he gets here. The Spirit also is 100% necessary in someone's salvation. If you don't have the Holy Spirit, you don't have Jesus. It's, It's all a package deal And so the one that they've been testifying of, if someone claims to have the Holy Spirit without Jesus, they're lying. You know why? The Holy Spirit came from Jesus Christ. And I believe that water that was, that came from Jesus, it was, it was a picture of the Holy Spirit. And I believe that, you know, we have evidence of that based on the things that we connect here uh, in the gospel of John. And so, um, throughout the letter, The focus has been on the Father and the Son, but now he's talking about the Spirit because, again, you know, it's a package deal. And 
you cannot bypass Jesus Christ to get the Holy Spirit. That's a very important thing to understand. This is why I believe Paul said what he said in Colossians in chapter 2, verse 8. He said, Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. For in him, Jesus, dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and ye are complete in him, which is the head of all principality and power. You cannot bypass Jesus Christ. The Jews, they try to bypass Jesus Christ to get to the Father. You can't do it. You got your Pentecostals. You know, they're all about the Holy Spirit. You know, you've got these, you know, Holy Spirit people. Their emphasis on Him. But understand, you don't get the Holy Spirit without Jesus Christ. And understand, too, getting that Holy Spirit. And I get it, the Pentecostals, they claim Jesus Christ. But understand that it was He that came by both water and blood. If for a person to be saved, they've got to be depending fully on the sacrifice of Jesus Christ and not their own work. And when you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, when you actually believe on him for salvation, trusting in his work and not your work, then you know what comes from him? The blood comes that gives you cleansing, but the Holy Spirit comes that indwells us and that keeps us and that seals us to the day of redemption so what John is showing right here is, again, he's, he's bringing the Holy Spirit in here, but emphasizing the fact you don't get them without Jesus Christ. Always a package deal. So verse 7, we all know this verse, For there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and we know the Word is Jesus Christ. John said the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. We know that was Jesus Christ. And the Holy Ghost, and these three are one. He's, he emphasized the unity of the message of the Godhead. And it makes sense that they would have the same message because they are all one, not just in agreement. Okay? Not just in agreement. A lot of the newer Bibles want to try to do that same thing because we see it in other verse where they're all in agreement. But the thing is, it's more than that with the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit because they, all, they, they are one God. We do believe in a Trinitarian God that is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and they are never going to contradict each other. It's not going to happen. They never contradict each other. And so, if you have a conflicting message, something's wrong. But that doesn't happen if it's a message from God. You have people all the time, well, I believe the Lord's telling me to do this, but you know the Bible says something different. Okay, the Bible is not going to contradict God. And God is not going to contradict the Bible. But people all the time, well, you know, that's, that's what you think about it. That's, but, you know, I really feel like the Spirit, Spirit's telling me something else. Then it's not the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will never tell you to do anything that is against the Bible. Because they are always going to be in agreement. So, uh, that's why, again, this is a, another reason why... You know, we are not going to compromise when it comes to the message. This is why we cannot just all agree, and especially when it comes to things about God. Again, there might be some doctrinal things that are, are difficult, but when we're talking about God, you know, if people are denying the deity of Christ, you know we're never going to hold hands with the Jehovah's Witnesses? We, we can't do it. They deny the deity of Christ. We're not, we cannot hold hands with the Mormons. This is not going to happen. We, we can't. And every Baptist would say amen to that. But then you say, we can't hold hands with the Jews either. Then all of a sudden they clam up. No, we can't, folks. We absolutely cannot. They don't have the same God that we do. And I find it very offensive when Baptists try to say that. I've heard Baptists before get up and talk about one of the reasons we support the Jews over the Muslims is because at least we have the same God as the Jews, unlike the Muslims that serve Allah. No, wrong, completely unbiblical. Yeah, it completely goes. The, I, I, I agree. We don't have the same God as the Muslims. I agree 100%. But we don't have the same God as the Jews either. And you're going to have to take that up with John. They're going to have to take that up with Jesus. So that is a very wicked thing to say. It is very messed up. And, you know, the, but at least the Muslims are honest enough to give them a different name. Where the Jews, they blaspheme the name of God. 
and they take his name. They'll, you know, they'll talk about Jehovah. They'll talk about, you know, they'll use the names of God that we see in the Bible, which is just even more deceptive, but they do it while denying the son. And it's like these people rip first John out of their Bible and second John out of their Bible. And it's not right. So verse eight, and there are three that bear witness in earth, the spirit and the water and the blood. And these three agree in one. And I believe he's referring back to what he recorded at the cross. Because what he saw and heard were all in agreement. There was literally water and blood that came from Jesus Christ at the cross. And you know what? The Holy Spirit that indwelt John that came on him was in agreement with what he saw. So the thing is, John, when he wrote the Bible, he wrote what he saw. And it was the Word of God. And the Holy Spirit agrees. And let me tell you, I'm not preaching a message on this right now, but all of us need to learn to pay attention to the Holy Spirit that's inside of us when you are hearing preaching. And many times when you hear preaching and something's just not setting right with you, you might not have the knowledge to open the Bible and show a verse that contradicts what that preacher's saying. But let me tell you, pay attention to what the Holy Spirit is telling you. We often call it going with our gut. But I'm, I, I've been there before where I've heard preaching and I was like, I don't know what's wrong with that, but something's wrong with that. And whenever that happens, you know, I'm not going to go and just immediately condemn the guy. Uh, you know, if, if when that happens, when you hear preaching and, you know, don't just go rebuking the pastor because something just didn't set right with you. Wait and figure out what it is first. I'm not, I'm not telling you to go off of that to the point of, you know, you leave the church, you know, you're condemning the pastor, you're condemning anybody that believes that way. I'm just telling you, pay attention to it and get in your Bible. And you know what? Never be satisfied with a doctrine that you're being taught until you feel like what you're seeing in the Bible agrees with the spirit that's in you. And let me tell you, there's been many things throughout the years that I've heard that, I don't know, it's just like something didn't set right with me when it came to that. And, and here's the thing. Often, some people will ask me what my position is on something, and I'll say, well, my official position is this. And it's because it's, maybe it's what I've been taught. This seems like to be the best argument, but I just, I really don't know for sure. So this is officially my position, and I might be right. But I don't know. Sometimes, you know, my gut's telling me, you could be wrong, but the Lord hasn't shown me yet where I'm wrong, so I'm not going to get up and beat my chest about it, and this is definitely what it means. And same thing, what we're getting ready to cover here in a little bit, I'm not going to get beat my chest tonight, I know what this is, I, because, I don't know, I, I sometimes, I got to get up and say, well, this is my position, this is what I think, but I'm just not 100% sure. And you know what it is, it's like, the Holy Spirit just hasn't given me the peace yet to just get up and boldly declare and get in your face and tell you you're a heretic if you don't agree with me. There are some things the Holy Spirit has given me peace that I can get up and I can boldly proclaim and tell you're a heretic if you don't agree with me. You, you all want to fight me on once saved, always saved? I'll get up and I'll boldly declare you're a heretic if you don't agree with me on that. Why? The Holy Spirit has given me peace and, that, and, and He's given me assurance when it comes to that doctrine. But other things, I'm not there yet. And if you're not there yet, you know what? That's okay. Make note of it. Keep studying. Keep reading your Bible. The Lord will show you one of these days. In the meantime, just stop going out and trying to condemn everybody that doesn't agree with you when you don't even know for sure yet. Just chill out. Okay? Just, just chill. Okay? Very important. So verse 9. If we receive the witness of men, the witness of God is greater. For this is the witness of God, which he hath testified of his Son. There will always be those that say otherwise, that contradict the word of God, but we have a greater witness. And people often act like it's a, it's like, you know, people too, they act like it's this revolutionary discovery whenever they find some ancient writing or they'll claim to find some ancient writing that claims Jesus didn't really rise from the dead. But did you know that isn't really revolutionary? Because first off, the Bible says we receive the witness of men, the witness of God is greater. And second of all, the Bible told us that that was going on in that day. If you go to Matthew chapter 28, verses 11 through 15, after Jesus rose from the dead, you know what they said? They went and paid these guys to say that someone stole his body. And then it said, and you know what the saying is commonly reported amongst the Jews this day. Guess what that was? That was the start of CNN. And, and the same religion 
that started CNN back then is still promoting lies today. Fake news has always been around. It's always been around. So guess what? I'm not surprised at all. My faith is not shaken at all. They can, they can go dig up some old scroll in Israel today that says Jesus did. And you know what? That will just prove to me even more that the Bible's true because that's what Matthew recorded that they were doing in that day. So don't fall for that stuff. Verse 10, He that believeth in the Son of God hath the witness in himself. He that believeth not God hath made him a liar because he believeth not the record that God uh, gave of his son. The Bible says we have the witness in ourselves. Listen to that witness. Some people, they're so carnal, they're so weak in their faith, they've got to have a man tell them whatever. And you know what? There's nothing wrong with going and getting guidance from someone, asking a question to someone. But if you're, the assurance of your salvation lies solely in what I tell you, you're not where you need to be yet. You need to get to where the Holy Spirit is telling you because there's always going to be somebody else that's going to come along and say different. They might be more charismatic than me. They might be more well-spoken than me. They might be more educated than me. But at the end of the day, it's not about the witness of man. It's about the witness of God. Is the Holy Spirit telling you that you are saved? We've got to listen to that witness. People today, they're all looking for agreement amongst men. Why can't all the religions just get along? Why can't all the religions agree with each other? Why do you need that so much? You know why they need it? Because they don't have enough faith to listen to the witness of the Holy Spirit. They want to live in a world where everybody's agreeing with each other, holding hands, singing kumbaya, and doing trust falls with each other. That's what people are looking for today. But what you know what you need to be looking for is agreement with the Holy Spirit. And when a preacher gets up and preaches, is that, does that line up with the Word of God? Does that agree, line up with the Spirit that is within you? You've got a witness that is in you. Listen to that witness. The Holy Spirit will tell you the truth. He'll lead you into all truth. And I'm, t- I'm telling you, you, you can trust Him more than you realize. And so verse 11 says, And this is the record that God hath given unto us eternal life, and this life is in His Son. He that hath the Son hath life. He that hath not the Son of God hath not life. Salvation is only in Jesus. And the Jews don't have it because they're trying to find salvation through the Father without the Son. doesn't work. Verse 13, These things have I written unto you that believe in the name of the Son of God that ye may know that ye have eternal life, and that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. And John wanted those who claimed Jesus were the ones, you know, he wanted them to know, you are the ones who were saved. Because there were some, you know, maybe they were, you know, they didn't have the completed scriptures like we do. They're listening to this witness, these witness of men who are saying, you're not of God. Jesus isn't the Christ. And you know, it's not, you know, it's easy to sometimes doubt and, to, you know, to second guess yourself. And especially back then when they didn't have the completed scriptures. But you know what? John's like, you know, we got to write something down to help people when the lies come along. And what do we do when somebody comes along and tries to tell us you're not saved? We lost our salvation. We go to the scriptures, don't we? But we don't just go to the scriptures. We don't just receive the witness of one. We've got another witness that's inside of us. And it's the Holy Spirit. And he always agrees with the Bible. And so uh, John wanted them to have that confidence. So verse 14, and this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he heareth us. And if we know that he hear us whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we desired of him. Now, folks, what's the context of this right here? Is this name it and claim it? Or is this talking about salvation? And this is an important verse too. For people who want to get weird and act like you don't need to call on the Lord for salvation, he flat out tells us that we know. Okay, one of the reasons we know we're saved is because we know that if we ask anything according to his will, he heareth us. And folks, what is one thing? I know it's my will and it's your will to get that million dollars. But you know what we don't know? If it's God's will. So this isn't name it and claim it. I'm going to pray for a million dollars and I know I'm going to get it. No, I don't know that I'm going to get it because I don't know if it's his will. But you know what I do know is his will? That you be saved. God wants you to be saved. I know that. I know that's his will. I know if I'm talking to someone else, I know it's God's will for them to not perish, but be saved. And I know that if they will ask God for something that is according to his will, like salvation, he will grant them that request. 
So again, this, you know, I don't know why people want to get weird about believe only and try to act like taking, asking out of the equation somehow makes you better. I just, I, or makes you more saved. It's ridiculous. It, this is something that we know. And so I know I'm saved because I did. I asked him and I know it was his will that I get saved. There's no reason he wouldn't have given me salvation when I asked. I know I believed. I asked and I received. And so verse 15, is, it's about that. It's about salvation. So verse 16, if any man see his brother sin a sin, which is not unto death, he shall ask and he shall give him life for them that sin not unto death. There is a sin unto death. I do not say that he shall pray for it. All unrighteousness is sin and there is a sin not unto death. Now, man, I... I, I am preaching long today. I don't know what my problem is today. I'm, uh, but right here, for sure, we know John is putting sin into two different categories. Sin, there's sins that are unto death, sins that are not unto death. So the big question is, what sins are unto death? Right? Now, verse 18 says, We know that whosoever is born of God sinneth not, but he that is begotten of God keepeth himself, that that wicked one toucheth him not. Okay, now two things about this verse. One, I believe when it says sinneth here, I believe it's, he's referring to the sins unto death, not just sins in general, because he's just made that distinction between sins unto death, sins not unto death. And so there, there is great, um, also this is a great eternal security verse, because here's the thing too. If there was a sin that could make a believer go to hell, then the Holy Spirit would protect us from it, wouldn't it? Because what do people always do when they want to throw out eternal security? They come up with hypotheticals. What if you get saved? You know, you got saved, you, believe, you, you truly believed, but then you became a Mormon. Now, none of us think Mormons are saved, do we? You know, none of us think mass murders are saved. What if you got saved, but you came, you became a mass murdering sodomite? Would you still be saved? Okay. Now, again, none of us think a mass murdering sodomite is going to go to heaven. So what are we going to do? Are we going to be a knucklehead? I, I think you can get saved. You can go out and be a sodomite. You can go march in a gay pride parade. And the Lord's still going to let you go to heaven. Because once saved, always saved. Amen. And if you don't believe that, you're just not even saved. No, I just... You see, you know, you know what we're throwing out when we come up with these weird scenarios? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, He keeps us. And so I'm here today to tell you that you know, the, it's, it's the, Holy, the Holy Spirit is going to keep us so the wicked one is not going to touch us. So what are the sins unto death? Now, I, unfortunately, I can't get up here today and tell you uh, definitively or 100% sure what this is talking about. But let me just say a few things about this. It could be some people believe that they are sins that will get a Christian killed by God. Like what we saw with Ananias and Sapphira. Like what we see in 1 Corinthians. For this cause many are weak and sickly among you and many sleep. But God killed people for things. We do see that. Some people believe it's referring to that. Um, you know, this is, and this is, you know, that very likely could be true. Sins that will get you killed as a Christian. But it could only be referring to the sins mentioned in this book. Which are denying Jesus as a Christ and hating your brother. And those are both sins that if we saw someone committing, we would say they are not saved. They could be sins that tell us that person is not saved. Remember, I think we talked about it last week, that Paul said that these people that were persecuting you, he said it is an evident token of perdition. It's like proof that they're not saved because of the fact that they are persecuting you. So there is evidence like that. So if we see a sin... There could be some sins that signal a person is not saved. Now, John has only mentioned two things. So, if somebody wants to say that's what the sins unto death are, then I think that's fine too. Uh, but at the same time, it could be. I, I don't know this. I don't really have a super strong opinion on this. But, you know, is it fair to go to a passage like 1 Corinthians chapter 6, in verse 9, where it says, Know ye not that the unrighteous 
shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners, shall inherit the kingdom of God. And we've talked about how it's not fair to just declare somebody fully one of these things when it's something that happened one time, something that they repented of. You know, there's a difference between someone who, you know, double does something or dabbles in something and someone who is living in that sin, that that is their life. That is what they've given their life to. There is a difference that we see. And a lot of times, again, we take that Ray Comfort mentality and reasoning, and I think that confuses people greatly. I don't think this passage is teaching a Christian will never commit one of those sins. But let me tell you, if we have somebody in this church and they are in fornication and they will not repent of that fornication, you know, we're supposed to throw them out of the church. And the Bible talks about treating them as a heathen. Doesn't they say they for sure are, but you know what? It sure looks like it when you're doing that. And that I personally believe that if a saved person, and I've seen evidence of this in my life, when saved people are living in open rebellion, and I've seen it, I've seen it recently, people living in open rebellion against God, participating in wicked, vile sins, and they die early deaths. They die weird deaths. I, I've seen that more than once in my life. And I don't want to get up here and tell stories because some of these things, you, know, you know, for the sake of family and things, I don't, I don't want to bring these things up. But I'm here today to tell you, I, I believe if a Christian gets out of line too much, God will take them out. So it could be sins that will get you killed. But I, you know, I think, I personally think it's more likely to be sins that indicate that you're not saved. But again, I'm not 100% sure on that. And partly, too, because of the next verse uh, that we're going to see, uh, see too. Because um, it says also in verse 16, if a man or if any man see his brother sin a sin, which is not unto death. So a sin that's not unto death, he shall ask, I believe it's talking about, or pray. And he shall give him life. For them that sin not unto death. So in other words, he's saying, for whenever you have a brother that does a sin that's not unto death, pray for him, and God will give life or give good, and he will not kill that person who sins not unto death. But there, when he says there is a sin unto death, I do not say that he shall pray for it. So it, it, it seems to indicate here, we are not to be praying for that person that's doing that sin unto death or i guess what he could be saying too is like asking you know for good to come because you know what if it's a if it's referring to a saved person doing a sin that'll get them killed sometimes we just need to get out of the way and say god deal with them you know we don't you know just like your kid i mean now my kids never do this we definitely never did this growing up i think this kind of went on in my wife's family but you know when one of my siblings was getting spanked I was never their dad. Please take it easy on them. You know, I was usually yeah, you know, give it, you know, give it to them. All right, but I was a bad brother. Okay, but you know, you know, at the same time too, you know, as a parent, if your kid's doing something really bad, you don't want the other kids like fighting you and getting mad at you and demanding you. No, they need to be dealt with. They need to be spanked. And sometimes God's people need to be dealt with by God, and we just need to sometimes get out of the way. And maybe that's what Paul is talking about. And I think that's what Paul is talking about too. And he said, I'm just going to deliver this man over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. You know, because he needs to be dealt with. And sometimes we do. We just need to say, you know, we might even need to make that prayer and say, you know, Lord, I believe this person's a brother, but they are in sin. They will not repent. We can't, we've done everything we can do as a church. It's up to you, God, now. And you know what? We're not going to pray blessings on you. We're not going to pray that the Lord does all these... You know, you know we're going to pray God does? We're going to pray He whoops your backside and that you get right. So that could be what it's talking about too. I don't know. You know, it's, it's one of those things. It is a, it's a difficult passage. It's one of those things you, know, you can ponder, talk about, chew on a little bit. But um, I do... You know, we need to remember we can't see someone's heart. And so if someone is committing a sin that all indicators would be that they are unsaved... You know, and, and there's those, you know, and there, and those are out there. We need, and there, those people are out there. We need to understand if they are saved, God will deal with them and we need to let them do it. And so I've seen people, and I believe we're saved 
but they lived like a heathen. God dealt with them. But then there's other people too. I thought we're saved. They live like a heathen. Nothing happens. You know what? Maybe it's because they're not his. And you know what? God's, you know, uh, maybe the, the way the Bible puts it, they're bastards and not sons. That very well could be. And so, because, you know, of once saved, always saved too, if there was something, again, that could theoretically make you lose your salvation, the Holy Spirit will not let that happen. So that's why, you know what? Ignore these hypotheticals people come up with. Okay? They're, they're ridiculous hypotheticals. And this is why, too, well, I don't want to get heaven. Look at verse 19. It says, And we know that we are of God, and the whole world lieth in wickedness. And we know that the Son of God has come, and hath given us an understanding that we may know Him that is true, and we are in Him that is true, even in His Son, Jesus Christ, this is the true God and eternal life. It's all, this whole book's been all about Jesus Christ. And then he ends it with something that almost seems like it's changing the subject a little bit. He just ends it, and this is just like a closing statement. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. Amen. And I think it's interesting how he concludes this letter with that charge to avoid idols because he never mentioned idolatry throughout the letter. But I think it's important to, to illustrate what I've been trying to describe to you about the Holy Spirit's protection from sins unto death. Let me tell you, again, I'm not really concerned about things, you know, if it's just, if it sins unto death are sins that indicate you're unsaved. Okay? I'm not worried about that. If a sin unto death is some kind of sin that's so horrible, only an unsaved person would do it, I'm not worried about that. And here's why. Because the Holy Spirit is in me. This is why I'm not concerned about the mark of the beast. Because I am not depending on my performance to keep me saved. I'm depending on Jesus to keep me saved. I'm depending on the Holy Spirit to keep me saved. Now, listen, let's, let's just face it. We don't understand the mark of the beast as much as we think we do. Okay, but let's just say everything everybody teaches in the end times world is right. Mark of the beast, microchip. You take it, you'll lose your salvation, okay? Now, here's the thing. Some of you might be thinking, listen, if I had to face getting my head chopped off, taking my, I don't know if I'd have the courage to do that. You know what? If that's how you feel, don't worry about it. Because if you're saved, and if taking the mark would make you lose your salvation, guess what? God's not going to let that happen. The Holy Spirit is not going to let that happen. If you need the courage to say no, the Holy Spirit will give you the courage. We see the Holy Spirit coming through for people all the time in the Bible. We see guys like Peter who denied Christ, who, who cowered at first, later doing great things for God, going to prison for God. And according to history, you know, I don't know if it's true, but according to history, he died for the cause of Christ. Where did that boldness come from? It came from the Holy Spirit. And let me tell you, you know, why? Why? Because you know what? The Holy Spirit's not going to let him lose his salvation. So you know what? He had the courage to do it. And if you need the courage to ever get your head cut off, you'll have it, ladies and gentlemen. I'm convinced. If you have the Holy Spirit, you'll have the courage to do that because he's not going to let you do that. People are like, oh, well, you know, and again, what, you know, what if you're saved and you become a homosexual? I'm not worried about it. I, I know I'm saved. The Holy Spirit will not let that happen to me. Because I'm telling you, there's not going to be no homos in heaven. It's, just, it's not going to happen. So, you know, so the thing is, I'm, I'm not strutting around, well, I know I'm saved because I'll never be a sodomite. I know I'm saved because I'll never take the mark of the beast. Hey, listen, I hate pain so much. I think, you know, all they have to do to threaten me, to get me to sing like a nightingale, probably do whatever they want to do right now. Well, I, you know, the Holy Spirit's not empowering me to do something is just come at me with a dentist and no Novocaine. Novocaine. I am so scared of that drill. I, I didn't even think about it. They drilled me one time and I could feel it. That was so painful. And they came out with me. A dentist came after me. I, I, I see myself doing whatever he says to do. You know what? They want to get me to take the jab, threaten me with a dentist. And then I... I, I that's how I feel right now. But let me tell you, if it really matters, if it's really about salvation, I'll have the courage. 
not, and not because of anything with me, because of Jesus Christ. Or, if God's just not going to give me the courage, you know what he'll do? He'll give me a way of escape. Because he does not lose his children. 1 Corinthians 10, 12, Wherefore let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. Yeah, I'm not talking about getting cocky here. I'm not talking about getting that attitude, but it says, There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape, that ye may be able to bear it. And interestingly enough, Wherefore, my beloved brethren, flee from idolatry. And what is it that we see with the mark of the beast? It's taking the mark and worshiping the image of the beast. That's idolatry right there. Past time, do you believe a saved person can commit idolatry? Well, let me say this. If idolatry means you're going to hell, no. I, 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 well, so you, you think you're that strong that you would never bow the knee. I don't think anything about myself, but I think a lot about the Holy Spirit that's within me. And whatever I need to do, if I need to do anything, He will do it for me. He will do it through me. Why? Because God gets all the glory for my salvation. God gets all the glory for me keeping my salvation. He gets the glory for everything. And thank God for that. So with that, let's pray. Dear Lord, I pray this message was a help and a blessing. I thank you so much for the, the gift of the Holy Ghost that you have given us. And I pray you'll help us, Lord, to uh, learn to follow the leading of the Holy Spirit, to let him guide and direct us in our life. And I pray that we'll always be sensitive uh, to it. I pray we won't be about a list of rules that we can lift ourselves up with, but about loving uh, you and loving the brethren. In your name we pray. Amen.